Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. What goes into a brewery acquisition in this uncertain market? Jake Gardner, the Director of Brewing Operations at Westbound and Down Brewing Company, is here to talk about the two new breweries that they just added to the company. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There, you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast hosted by M. Souter and Don Tess, simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you. Please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. A few bucks goes a long way to help keep the content fresh and to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show, you can email us. It's info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS, Go Mobile device, for battle-tested solutions. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash drinkbeer. Last week, Westbound and Down Brewing announced that it had acquired two breweries, Aspen Brewing and Capitol Creek Breweries Brew Pub, both in Colorado's Roaring Fork Valley. The deal, says Jake Gardner, the director of brewing operations at Westbound and Down, is part of a plan the brewery has been eyeing for a while. There is a desire to expand in a meaningful way while still staying true to the brewing ethos that has guided Westbound since it opened in 2015. We're going to talk about the business and the growth projections and how Aspen's 7,000 barrel capacity and Capitol Creek's brewery brew pub will blend in with the existing infrastructure. But we're also going to talk about IPA, barrel-aged beer, and how the brewery wants to be great at all that it does. That goal squares with Gardner's background. He started professionally brewing at Breckenridge in 2011 before transitioning to Hogshead Brewery, where he worked his way up to head brewer in 2013. While working at Hogshead, he connected with three Mug Club members who all wound up becoming partners in opening Westbound and Down. Here's our conversation. I understand that hops and IPA and pale ales play a big role for you and for the brewery in general. I largely know you all through your big boozy imperial stouts and barley wines and a lot of the barrel age funness that... um, you all are also known for and have won quite a few awards for. We're in that season where people are diving into, you know, let's let's go for the high ABV. Let's go for the barrel aged uh, you know, fun treats kind of thing um, with so many awards behind you all. Where do you start with your barrel age to be your program what has led to the accolades that you've received uh well i would say um yeah i mean we were i think a lot of people pigeonhole us as being hopheads i even do it myself because it's 
uh, what we're spending a ton of time on. But from the beginning, when we set out at Westbound, we said we wanted to be great at everything. And that was part of kind of reviving the brew pub model for us. It wasn't just about making new sexy beer styles. Uh, and it wasn't just about, you know, like I think some brewers that I'm very good friends with in Colorado have, have a very tight focus on what they focus on. You know, we've had a sour program and we have a pretty expansive barrel aged um, clean beer program and, and stouts and barley wines and strong ales. Um, but we also make like Hefeweizen and Porter and, and some kind of traditional brew pub styles because I mean, I think for one, I'm super ADD and I'm too, um, you know, maybe for bad reason, but just enjoy the challenge of trying to do all those things. Great. Um, on the barrel age beer program, that is probably my other passion. Now, I, I have an almost two year old and my wife is pregnant. So the amount of time recently I get to spend, um, being a, a consumer in those beer styles has shrunk a little bit in the last 18 months. I'll bet. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I brewed beer at Hogshead Brewery in Denver before that is, in, in my opinion, still one of the best uh, dark ale producers in the country, um, albeit mostly on the lighter side. But we made a Russian Imperial Stout uh, as well as a barley wine um, and barrel-aged versions of those when I was the head brewer. Um, from kind of 2013 to 2016 there. Um, and that kind of drove, that was what resonated the most with me out of uh, the English brewing tradition that was Hogshead, was um, stout, uh, Russian imperial stout and barley wine. So we kind of built our program around Americanizing those. And by that, I mean, you know, trying to make, I mean, our barley wine's goal is to be as close to kind of Fuller's Vintage Ale. If you could in your head, imagine that being a 14% barrel age version. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. So if you can, you know, if you, you may have never seen a blue horse on fire, but if you've seen a horse fire in the color blue, you can see it in your head. Um, and that's kind of what I guess the ask is there. Um, if you've had Fuller's Vintage Ale, yeah, it's pro and you've had barrel aged beers. It's probably possible to make that mental leap to assuming what the answer is, or you could just buy a four pack of Urban Barrel Aged Louis, um, and hopefully you agree. But um, yeah, so that's kind of like the the basis of our our passion for it. And then um, you know along the way, Alex Bakken, who's my head R and D brewer, uh, him and I have been making beer together since Hogshead. Um, and then Derek Goodman, who was behind River Norse. Uh, brewing it's like very elevated awesome barrel age program it's kind of oh yeah heading up our barrel uh, age program right now before that we had phil joyce so we've had um with myself some pretty um awesome people to help drive that program um and i think for that you know we are just i'm not saying we're above adjuncts i don't really like thinking of anybody as above or below anything i think that's a poor approach to to brewing that implies there's some like nirvana enlightenment that you get to which i don't believe but we've kind of steered away from the adjunct world with some you know and, and done it only in small ways and calculated i think that's one thing that defines our program a lot of focus on the longevity of the beer um kind of you know on beers that inevitably have a free amino nitrogen problem um, looking at ways to choose malt and how we get to these super high ABVs um, 
and, and keeping that as in check as you can, which is not in check, but more in check than maybe choosing a, a dry malt extract kind of version uh, of getting to those gravities. So I think those are some things that define us. And then, and then a lot of focus on barrel and blending. Like I said, we've, we've dabbled in the sour beer program, which is very much an art of blending. And I think that led to a lot of um, strategies and, and kind of our, you know, artistic approaches to blending that both work in production needs as well as kind of the artistic side of, you know, how many different products are we come out of, out of these 12 barrels and what's the point. And, you know, sometimes then we flip the script, what's just the best beer we could put out regardless of any production goals, you know? Um, so I think we try to look yeah. at it from as many angles as possible. I, I always struggle with, or I guess I have the curiosity of when somebody knows that the blend is right. And there are times when I'm drinking a beer and it's like, wow, all right. Like, yeah, they, they nailed it. And I I can't even say, you know, what might've been better or could have been worse or, you know, I just know that I, that, 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 that I like it. Um, and that I trust the brewer that this is what they settled on to, to, to get out there. Um, but I'm often curious about the thought process of settling on a blend, settling on, okay, this is the best representation of everything that we have in front of us for our palates that we think people will like. When you're blending, how do you approach it? How, what do you ultimately want out of those beers at the end of the day? I mean, at the end of the day, we really approach our barrel age program as a tool to connect with some of the most hardcore fan base and craft beer to help tell our story more broadly. And what I mean by that is um, our barrel age program is not how we're scaling westbound. Um, it isn't the strategy to do so, but it is a strategy in a space where, A, we can connect with the people that resonate with these beers who can then help tell our story, you know, across the board for, you know, canned everyday drinking products to their friends. But it's also a space where we choose to just be, you know, uh, extremely passionate um, because there aren't really a lot of conflicts of interest in like business and art. Like it isn't, it isn't, well, I mean, I think we approach actually IPA kind of the same way, but um you know, as a way to connect with people and uh, we want the beer to be the best. We have like an internal saying at Westbound that, you know, quality at all costs. Um, and I think in our barrel age program, you know, there are some big hitters out there in that world. And we know we're not interested in even putting out a product if we don't think we're capable of doing it at a level that is elite. So, um, you know, that's one thing we consider, but it's hard because I think there's this constant battle in your head of like, even as a consumer of both, you know, whiskey and barrel aged stout and barley wine that like single barrel signifies maybe the highest, the most sought after product. There's the least of it. It was so good. They couldn't blend other stuff in and definitively they avoided the thing where like you blended more to gain a volume, even potentially I think in the fear of the consumer at the dilution of the purest flavors. That being said, being the blender a lot of times, 
we've never like the blended products are always better. Um, if you go into them with the approach of this isn't a volume goal, this is just like the law of averages, like you're going to have holes and it's very rare that an individual stout recipe in a single barrel delivers on all the complexity that three different stout brews from three different ages and three different barrels can all bring together. You know, like if even without tasting the products, I would bet you right now that we can just go three, pick three barrels and would be better than probably even if you got to hand pick the best barrel, you know? So there's this balancing act of that. And, and, you know, like all rules, they're meant to be broken. And, and in, uh, occasionally like we had a stag Louie that just came out in our membership and it's stunning. I mean, it was literally perfect. We were like, this is, this is better than any of the blends, but you know, that's one out of maybe a hundred barrels of Louie over the last four or five years, you know, that I've thought is like that elite, you know? Yeah. Um, so it is, I, I don't know if there's a, a perfect answer. I think a lot of it's problem solving um, and a lot of tasting and just a lot of dedication to, to taking the time to do the tasting, which is, you know, because the products get you so intoxicated is a lot harder than QC tasting of like IPA and Pilsner, you know, where yeah. tasting six to eight samples in two hours, taking a two hour break and doing it again, is certainly not out of the question with that, uh, with, you know, regular strength beer with 15% alcohol beer. There's no way, you know, you have to do that at your house. If you're doing it, go to bed afterwards. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, hopefully that kind of answered your question. Yeah. Um, I, when it comes to barrels themselves, right, this is also the time of year where, you know, a lot of folks are putting stuff out and they'll, if they have a, a, a partnership or if they got it from a particular distillery, will make it a point to say, you know, this was aged in X bourbon barrels or, you know, they'll insert name here. Um, and in some cases, you know, that that'll peak interests if it's, uh, you know, maybe something that people are passionate about or if, if they, I don't know. It, it's it's especially sought after um, in its bourbon form and its brown liquor form. How how much hey, you've been doing this a while? How how much does the actual liquid that had previously been in the barrel? How much does that matter? Uh, a lot and none, kind of both at the <laughs> same time. Um, so, and but what I mean by that is, you know bad whiskey may, you know, like if, if the, there's a lot of like the actual spirit imparted in these fresh dump fills with beer, you know, products like a lot, we think. So, you know, if the product isn't good on its own, we've had zero chance with those producing good product. And we learned that kind of the hard way quickly and have not repeated that. Like if we, if we don't like enjoy drinking the bourbon itself, um, we don't use um, that product. Now, that being said, the other thing that we've noticed is true. And again, all these are, are just kind of observations by us that we now treat as rules as Westbound. But it's, you know, in general, though, we've noticed that a lot of these high age statement whiskeys, which are certainly my favorite products to drink on their own, um, don't often produce as good of stout or barley wine coming out of them as a younger version of the same one does. For example, Weller. Uh, Weller barrels are 
barely available. Yeah. Um, I think they're phenomenal at making stout. We like to make a roastier stout than I think is kind of in vogue right now. Um, but you're using kind of the soft, sweet, rounded edges of that weeded bourbon and kind of the way that whiskey interacts with the wood really comes through in a lot of our stouts. And I think brings a rounded, uh, sweet bourbon quality to us, our version of Imperial Stout. Um, double absence being kind of the core of the three we make the most of. We have three different stout recipes that we blend together. Um, and, you know, we've certainly had the Weller Antiques and the Weller 12. And don't get me wrong, like I remember a Weller Antique, there was a, a barley wine barrel that was phenomenal. Like, again, there's always um, going to be these these things that are outside the standard deviation, you know, that are anomalies. But in general, I'd take a Weller green label, like they're just standard Weller barrel over a Weller 12. And the logic, I think, is like there's only but so much oak to give out of a barrel. Mm-hmm. And after 12 years, it's given most of it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the Weller green was not just as good a whiskey. It just wasn't aged as long. And I know, you know, there's probably some blender, you know, at Buff Trace doing the Weller that is, you know, picking the stuff that will age better. So I do get that there is probably a quality difference of what is green and what is the black label, the 12. But from our experience, the 12 has less oak complexity, even if it might have slightly better whiskey uh, bourbon qualities. Um, So we like really high end producers and then generally like their younger whiskeys. Um, If I were to generalize, but that being said, like, the Pappy, the product we put out for our members called 23. It was a double barrel age product that all of the double went into Pappy 23 barrels and that it was phenomenal. Um, I think it worked really well because we also had used some younger barrels first um, before we double barreled. So you just got all this nuance out of the 23. I think if we were to do a single barrel 23 year Pappy barrel, I'm not sure that would render the most complex um, stout out of it. So, um, that being said, you know, none of these things are always true. So it's kind of a generalization. Beer is a series of contradictions. Um, you, you mentioned before, uh, roastier stouts being in vogue at the moment. Uh, oh, I was saying the opposite of that. I was saying, oh, I think sorry. we make them that way, um, out of just, you know, maybe our heads, you know, too far in the sand and, too much historical uh, beer book reading. Um, but I, you know, I think that the trends are towards sweeter and sweeter um, and kind of lowering uh, roasted malt content. I certainly am not a fan of these like old school, like more acrid approaches to that. Um, but simultaneously, you know, some of the very sweet stouts that are in vogue right now is, is not how Westbound approaches it. Was what I was trying to say. Gotcha. Um, I, I wanted to sort of talk about where consumer preferences are right now because I often look to Colorado for guidance. I think with such a mature beer scene, with so many breweries, with a consumer base that is probably more in tune with their drinking likes in the beer space, maybe more than any other state. Um Where's the IPA conversation these days? Well, um, 
Yeah, I <laughs> pause there. Simply I'm, I'm gonna, I, I'm I gonna get, I'm gonna get hate mail from 49 other states, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand with that. For I'm gonna stand by my statement for right now until somebody tries to prove me wrong. Well, a, I'll take the compliment for Colorado. I'm a, um, you know, our brew team in general. Like I think one thing we think about, and I'm very proud to be uh, part of Colorado's craft beer scene. I think it's got a long history. Um, like a lot of beer scenes, uh, or is through a topsy turvy moment in time. Um, but I certainly appreciate, um, you know, that statement because I, I, I love Colorado craft beer. I love the consumers here. Um, and I love the culture around it. Um, and I, you know, I always challenge the brewers I'm buddies with here, um, and our own team of like making sure this is, um, main, you know, maintains its position in kind of the top three or four beer scenes in the country. Um, so I appreciate that first and foremost. Um, asking where IPA is here is a complex question um, because there I, we've seen a lot of trends back to West Coast IPA, which we are celebrating at Westbound and certainly think we've been pushing um the needle like trying to move the public in that direction because it's it's what you know very light what i call lean and mean san diego style ipa is like you know my favorite thing so um sorry i gotta switch off these headphones real quick okay still there yep sorry my headphones died um so lean and mean ipa is you know we love that very consumable highly hopped clear IPA is a passion of ours. That being said, we're just kind of hopheads. Um, and without a doubt, our best-selling product is Juice Caboose. And we love um, we love Hazy IPA too. I mean, even when we make Pilsner, our Italian Pils is like a highly dry hopped Pils just with German hops for the dry hopping. So um, using hops is, is not a, a problem at Westbound. We're pretty good at it. Um, that being said, the direction the public's going is, is kind of, you know, there's these like undercurrents of trends. I think the emergence of West coast IPA is a trend we're seeing. I think kind of products that we were competing with a year or two ago that were in kind of like the milkshake fruited sour, you know, thing that still had the word IPA kind of attached to the moniker. I think I'm seeing less of, and I don't know if that's brewer's not caring about those products and not making them or whether that's, you know, in response to consumers, I couldn't say we never did it. Um, but I do, I've seen a lot less of that tying up shelf space, a lot more West coast, certainly our West coast IPA sales have continued to grow. So we see that trend. Um, but I think in general, if I were to summarize those two things, I think Colorado at least is seeing a trend back towards um, IPA that's consumable IPA that, you know, is meant to be drank. Um, in volume or, you know, as an everyday drinker. Um, and I think, you know, that's something we support because that's that's why we make it because I like drinking IPA daily. And, uh, you know, Westbound IPA is my favorite version of doing that. I want to go back to something that you said earlier because it's been in the, in the back of my mind um, and, and and growing a little bit of be great at everything. And we've seen a, in the last couple of years at least, brewers going all in on one, maybe two things. 
and trying to say, okay, I'm going to be the best lager brewery I can be, or I'm going to, you know, make the best adjuncted stout that I can, that I can make, or I'm going to be a Hefeweizen house or like whatever it is. Right. Um, and that, that B graded everything, it made me twitchy because that it, it seems like an almost impossible task. It, it is, um, it is, but that being said, being the best at anything is a lofty goal and a nearly impossible task. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think we just kind of play by the rule. Like if we want to do it at all, we want to, we believe we can, um, contribute to the conversation. Like I'm just not interested in being a copycat, um, or, a wannabe at anything. And and that doesn't mean that like, if we try something new, we expect we're going to be the best in batch one, but that we think we can contribute to a larger conversation here in Colorado craft beer or, or even broader. And that we're contributing a unique take a unique product, a product that is not just like, Oh, this is like a wannabe version of something else. You know, like um, Ashley at beer shot is one of my best friends in the industry. And my goodness, she and Bill could not do a better job at making Hellas and, and Pilsner. Um, it is no coincidence that we don't make those beer styles. Um, <laughs> it, like I don't have, even in this local community uh, at current, something to contribute. You know, like if I wanted to, it would have to be an all-in move towards, you know, um towards, you know, decoction and lagering beer and having the same dedication they do, which is not in, you know, not in the immediate plans for certain. Um, so that's like an example of where we're not trying to do that great. Um, but if we were, we would need to take all those steps. I would need, you know, I'd want to be in the conversation with them about that, or I don't want to do it at all. Otherwise as a drinker, I just rather drink their products. So authentically, you know, I don't want to make a product that I can't say, Hey, I think we're the best at this or the best local at this, or we're in part in part of some conversation as um, a unique or elite or both product. Um, and if we don't think we'd be in that, then, you know, I couldn't authentically tell people they should buy ours. So I don't want to make it. Um, and I don't want to make a German Pilsner. I mean, don't get me wrong. We make one and I think it's awesome. It isn't a package product for us because People ask me, should they buy it? I'd be like, I would personally buy slow pour, <laughs> you know, would yeah. be my answer. Um, so, you know, why would we do that? So that that's, I guess my best answer at it is that it is a lofty goal. Um, but I think there's a lot of easier ways to make money than to run a craft brewery. So if your goals aren't lofty and to have tons of fun, you should switch industries and make money easier because <laughs> there's a lot of easier ways to do it. More in a moment, but first, this message. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing starting on day one. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drink beer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drink beer to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash drink beer. And now back to my conversation with Jake Gardner. 
so you're talking about lofty goals and I was surprised last week when I got a press release uh, about what you all are doing, because these days, a lot of the notifications I'm getting, especially here we are at the beginning of December as we're recording this, is a lot of folks saying, okay, hey, it's been a great run and next couple of weeks are going to be our last and come in and raise a pint and thanks for the memories. And it's been really hard and COVID and changing tastes and you know, everybody's got different reasons, but I'm hearing a lot uh, about closures and then your release comes along that you're expanding and that you're buying uh, two existing breweries that I guess would otherwise have been closing um, to expand uh, westbound and down. Talk to me about the growth and where that vision is at the moment and how long it had been percolating for you all. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that. Um, I apologize in advance. I'm super ADD and I, the way we came about um, thinking about this project, I think was from a lot of angles and when they all kind of came together, it, it, it seemed like a perfect fit for us. So I'll be kind of bouncing between a couple okay. of ideas why this made sense to us. So I mean, on a very broad level, when we opened in Idaho Springs, you know, we set out to revitalize the American Brew Pub. And by that, I mean, bring food and hospitality, um, breathe life back into it in in brew pub settings, because I think it's a great conceptually, like I love beer and food and hanging out. Um, but I think, you know, at the in 20, into 2015, beginning of 2015, when we were dreaming about this, there just was not nationally a lot of examples of people that were trying to make pub food elevated, like really knock it out of the park. So um, in the beginning, that was one thing that drove us. But another was we really loved um, being a gateway to the outdoors, either on the way back from, um, you know, Idaho Springs, um, the whitewater rafting is awesome. Fly fishing right in town is awesome. Mountain biking right in town is awesome. Um, And then there's equally as awesome, more opportunities as you head west. Um, and we're on the way back, you know, if you're from Colorado and you ski in Colorado, um, population wise, you're driving probably right back by us. Um, I've done it once or twice. Yeah. So, um, that was like the original vision is being, you know, connected to what we at Westbound all believe is like the coolest thing Colorado has is our amazing backyard. So, um, you know, we do have a spot in downtown Denver and that was more of just like, downtown's getting stressful people might need a beer while they're dealing with that stress um but you know being in boulder county and lafayette like also great trails and park systems right up on top of us and then aspen obviously you know uh, and basalt are two towns that are exemplify that in spades i mean the outdoor uh adventure opportunities are boundless so that was top of mind um two was Back to, you know, revitalizing the American brew pub, Um, you know, Aspen Tap, um, which is kind of Aspen Brewing's downtown Aspen Tap location, um, has a lot of potential. Its location is incredible. So we were really stoked about that. And it, you know, conceptually felt like something we could really bring improvement to. And then the Capitol Creek Brewery really has an awesome chef. um, His name is Hank. I'm blanking on his last name right now. But um, 
who is knocking out of the park on the food side. Their beer program was very intentional. It seemed like they were a younger version of what we set out to do in 2015. So culturally, it felt like a fit. Like these, you know, the Capitol Creek side seemingly had a lot of the same guiding principles to, you know, to why why they existed and what they wanted to offer the community. And the two at large, um, you know, connected with our desire to run brew pubs specifically in, you know, mountain areas. Um, then bounced into kind of a more, the other approach was we had two kind of tactical and kind of business strategy things to accomplish. One is um, we, we uh, created our space in Lafayette um, in COVID. Um, we had plans to actually build a much bigger facility at the time we built that. Um, and we're set to close an SBA loan at the end of March, 2020. So anybody who owned a business at that time knows that um, PPP, Emergency Loan Act, blah, yeah. blah, blah, all the SBA money was diverted. And the government went from backing 75% of those SBA loans, which is back to now, to 40%. So our interest rate from the bank, who now had you know 35% more exposure and risk, skyrocketed and we couldn't afford to build the bigger brewery we dreamed of. So we built um, Lafayette um, kind of out of, you know, I always say of, on band-aids and promises, great brew house, but it was, um, and the, you know, smaller uh, fermentation capacity than we knew we needed. And we thought at the time it would buy us three to five years. We're at the, you know, at the end of year two of brewing there and it bought us like 18 months. So we have been running at capacity now, uh, at both facilities for the last five months. So now Idaho Springs, which was just kind of R&D brewing was the plan, is now back to R&D brewing, but brewing hard around the, you know, is at capacity there and Lafayette. So we had kind of a meeting demand issue in the market and um, Aspen Brewing's main facility had some extra capacity. So we saw some attraction in helping improve the quality of their beer Um kind of investing in that brewing equipment and hopefully be able to make some um, westbound and down draft beer up there down the line. This is not like an immediate plan, but that's another thing that brought some attraction to us in this um, acquisition. Um, and then I think the final is back to, you know, in general, um, you know, on the brewing team, we keep getting access to, to more tools better hop selection, more hops we can get to the size we can collect, you know, um, silo malt and like, you know, we're not filling it with the cheapest two row or, you know, at current we use raw premium pills and because we have a 50,000 pound silo. We can tweak um, the malting specs because we don't have to buy stock raw premium pills. So just we're really relishing in a little bit of scalability and, how much more control it gives us from ingredient selection to, you know, adding on more lab tools, filter, you know, what, whatever it is, all this stuff the big boys have that you can start to bring into your brewing space as we scale. So excited again about um, kind of revitalizing the Aspen Brewing brand and that being, you know, a way that both of our two brands can elevate our ingredient selection because of it. There is a time at the beginning of COVID where I was talking with some breweries 
I think people went one of two ways at the time. They uh, some places were immediately laying off staff. They were uh, conserving their resources. They were they were preparing for um, the absolute worst. And I and I and I think that bad times obviously did come. Um, and then there are some other folks who got bold, got adventurous, and said, "Okay, if everybody else is is retreating, um, let's try to make some inroads. Like let's." make smart gambles let's make um things that we think that five years from now our brewery will be able to 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 look back and say okay yeah we 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 did it the right way in the midst of all of the closing news in the midst of all of the uncertainty and and down numbers and i think just sort of general displeasure is maybe not the right word but general worry about the industry does it feel good to be making moves like this? It's scary. Is it okay? Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would say so. I mean, don't get me wrong; I can't claim it. We're never um, there's no hesitation. But you know, like I said, we I like to believe at least that we are making calculated choices. And and back to this whole like you know, some breweries make an Excel spreadsheet. Or actually, I might have said that before we started recording. But in general, I think there's kind of two ways businesses grow, um, especially in the brewing world. I mean, I qualify, I worked for Breckenridge Brewery right out of college and have never since graduating college have only been in the beer industry um, from Breckenridge to Hogshead to Westbound. Um, that being said, I feel like, you know, there's kind of two approaches to manufacturing businesses. Either you write a business plan that at this scale, this will make sense. So we're going to build to that scale make the product and figure out where it goes. Or there's the other approach, which also has its own pros and cons where, um, you know, you're short on the product, like you grow to meet demand, not to try to incentivize the demand in the first place. Um, We've been in that position. So it feels a little less scary, but certainly we're hearing, you know, the, the BA or the guild here talking about, statewide and 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 countrywide craft beer numbers and they're not generally moving in the right direction or at best they're flat so it is a little scary that way but i think we've stuck to our guns on you know quality of, at all costs and we've stuck to our guns that we're, we're going to do what we want to drink um so i think we built a lot of trust in the community here of people that are just like hey it might be a new product from westbound but westbound doesn't like do weird shit for lack of a better word you know they just like if they have a new west coast ipa all the last ones have been good or they make a new hazy they make a like if they're going to use a vanilla you know vanilla beans and a barrel aged stout whatever it is even when we go outside the box i think our consumer base has realized it's fairly calculated we've been big believers in not letting our consumers drink our experiments we experiment ready to put a product out there we do. And I think that's, you know, people didn't stop drinking. I'm positive of that. You know, it's, um, they're drinking some alcohol and they're drinking somebody's beer. So I think there's always room for growth there. Um, and that, you know, keeps our head on straight. So I think, you know, as long as we keep focusing on what we can control, which is putting out the best product, not trying to win the sprint, but trying to win the marathon. By that, I mean, you know, it stinks to dump decent product, but, we do it regularly because we're, you know, trying to build 
you know, a consumer trust that allows for this growth. And that means that, you know, we cut no corners and occasionally have to take some losses to accommodate that. But that's just kind of our approach to business, mainly because it's our approach to beer. I hope, you know, I would hope that other consumers or other producers that I buy from have that same approach. So we try to embody that. I like that. The, the acquisitions already gone through. So for those who are local, for those who are kind of paying attention to everything, when do you anticipate folks will start to notice the westbound touch? Uh, great question. We're still trying to figure that out. Um, we are up there, um, myself and our two um, really badass restaurant um, focus guys on my leadership team. Um, Casey Taylor and Matt Husted are up there right now um, with the plans of at least one of the three of us being uh, in the Roaring Fork Valley for, you know, months to come. Um, We're kind of in a learning phase. Like, you know, we are from Colorado. We're not from the Roaring Fork. Um, They were both um, viable and successful businesses on their own. So, we don't have to like rush in and resuscitate, you know, this is like, that's helpful. Yeah. Which is awesome because, you know, we're not the experts at what they do. We're not the experts in that Valley. So I think going there and just being like recognizing that there's some really strong leadership and teamwork and culture already in place. Um, and we can kind of just absorb and see that for a minute. And then, and then, you know, there's some things that come up on day one, that are like, oh, hey, can would you consider this SOP or, you know, whatever? Like we went through this same thing and this improved beer quality, you know? Um, but in other cases, you know, there's a lot of like, there's already been things that Westbound have learned by spending even just two days up there last week uh, brewing with their team. So we're kind of balancing, um, you know, to set a timeline, I'm not sure. Um, and I'm not sure how everything will be branded when it all shakes out, but I do know, you know, we want Westbound and Down to be um, in the Roaring Fork Valley as a brand. Um, and we're excited to to be working with the teams that are already up there to bring Westbound and Down to that valley. Um, my guess would be a couple months, obviously, in terms of the beer side, with inventories and schedules, you know, I'd ask anybody listening, you know, um, at least give us 90 90 to 120 days to um, for the beer to feel um, westbound quality because certainly, you know, that's just like the chain of, you know, stuff already in tanks all the way to already on shelves. You know, it just takes a while to totally flip a program around. But we're really excited about their brew team and amazed by what they pulled off very undercapitalized before and think we can, uh, as a team, really elevate uh, Aspen Brewing brand. Um, and kind of bring that quality uh, way up. So excited, you know, problem solving, I think is, you know, problem solving and drinking beer are probably the two reasons I'm in this industry is I love drinking beer and I love problem solving and beer kind of puts you in constant problem solving equations, whether you're on the brew deck, trying to write an entire brewing schedule or hoppy beer program or whatever is it, you know, there's a lot of problem solving. Um, and I like beer because at the end of the problem solving, you get to drink beer um, as opposed to other jobs where you're still just at a desk at the end of the problem solving. I dig that. I've been asking folks on the show for, gosh, I don't know how long now, uh, the green door question. 
which uh, the premises on the television show, The Good Place, they introduce a concept of the green door in the final season where the characters can walk through and be anywhere doing whatever they want to be doing. And so if we had a green door on our plane of existence and this conversation ended and you could walk through it and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you like to go? Who would you like to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Oh, man, that's a monster question. Well, that is a really hard one. I like that question, though. I wish I'd known that was coming so I could add some forethought. But first gut reaction um, would be, you know, I uh, my three favorite breweries in Colorado, um, they know who they are. But I'm not picking just simply because I don't need a green door to drink beer with my friends there. Um, I think I'm going to have to go with Grains of Wrath in Camas, Washington. Okay. Um, because they, uh, Mike Hunsinger there also lives, like they also want to do everything great. Um, and man, do they hit that out of the park. Um, that Hellas there rivals um, is certainly at least in the same league as beer shots and his West coast IPAs are to die for. Um, I mean, you go in there and just try to pick something. You're like, he's got to have screwed up this, like, you know, lemon lime goza. You're like, man, I don't even like that. And this one is awesome. You know um, you just, he seemingly doesn't miss. Um, and the crowd, um, you know, my kind of West coast beer friends seem to acknowledge that. So I would say I would be there. Um, with, you know, any combination of the comrade cannonball westbound and beer shot team drinking and possibly, you know, some of our other San Diego buddies, um, luckily for all of us, we don't have to have a green door. We basically do this at hop selection once a year. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. And a lot of those friends actually are there. So I speak from experience, um, but we were back there right when we landed, um, this year. And for uh, going down to Crosby to select strata and, um, you know, beer being good enough to compete with a memory is really difficult. Um, like when you go to Europe and, and, you know, maybe you have, um, you know, beer at Augustiner in the Keller house, right? The beer gets better. It's almost like fishing, like the fish get bigger in the memory of the story <laughs> than they do. And the beer does too, right? Like it will be the best lager you've ever had. But then as you leave, it keeps getting better in memory. Um, so to come back a year after having done that at Mike's place um, and it be that mind blowing again, um, really speaks to the quality. So, um, you know, hats off to the Grains of Wrath team. Um, I think that's what I got to pick just because um, when beer in your hand beats beer in your memory, that's about the tallest order um and it, and it delivered on that so um you know and it's just a really cool place if anyone hadn't been food's awesome they have a similar kind of focus to we do so i might have a higher affinity to their beer selection and you know that they run a brew pub but um yeah that's the most excited i've been about um I mean, hell, we brewed a collab beer there and opened and closed his restaurant. We were there before they opened. He kept being like, let's go check out this other place in town. And we were like, we're in love. We're just going to drink beer for 12 hours. Stay right here. Yeah. 
So I dig it. I'm going to put it on my list of places to visit. Um, in addition to your, your growing empire. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate you being on the show this week. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, great podcast. Thanks for having me on. If you need to reach me, get in touch with questions, comments, guest suggestions, emails the best way. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com where you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. Follow All About Beer on social media at All About Beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Speaking of that, here's a quick word from this episode's sponsor. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer to take your retail business to the next level today shopify.com slash drink beer. I'm sure you haven't, but don't forget all about beer has a podcast channel. Now search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal this beer has new episodes every Monday and the BYO nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Weber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed our logo and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday. And that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.